Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Thank you for being regular listeners. There's an awful lot of you out there listening. Most of our podcasts have between 15,000 and 20,000 listens. So thank you for listening and thank you for sharing it. And I realize, like you do, it's the guests that make this podcast work and people that come forward and bravely share their stories. And vulnerability brings connection and authentic connection. It reduces shame and it brings us together as the same human family. So I have another one of those um, type of people that is willing to share his story in my home. And it's my friend, Peter Fillerup. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Um, I'll give you just like I usually do listeners, a little bit of bio, and then I'll kind of turn it over to Peter to share his story. Peter is 31. He grew up in Wyoming, Colorado, and Arizona, now lives in Utah. He's going to share his story as a gay Latter-day Saint. He came out in May of 2021. So this is recent, and he'll tell us more about that. He served a mission in Los Angeles, Spanish-speaking. That was a bilingual mission, so everybody learned, well, Spanish, assuming everybody already knew English. Um, he Thanks for your service. It's yeah. a big deal to serve a mission. Thank you. You're welcome. And then Peter went to BYU-Idaho, where he has a degree in art. Peter has a wonderful career um, and designing homes from an architectural standpoint and then from what I would call the interior part of a home. Will you just um, share with our listeners a little bit about what you do professionally? Yeah, so I uh, I do architectural plans. So most people are used to just floor plans, you know. Um, but I'm also planning out all of the interior components as well. So planning on uh, like kitchens, for example, we need to know what kind of appliances you're doing, uh, talk about the functions, ergonomics, all that kind of stuff. And when you've applied for a building permit, it's a little late to be talking about uh, uh, rearranging cabinetry and all that kind of stuff. So we're planning ahead. I love that because I've hired architects in the past and I've hired, especially my wife has hired more of the interior part. And we've never in our life ever had one person like you that kind of did that, the totality of that. So that's Yeah, it's really a weird little cool. niche. <laughs> Kind of underserved in the area. I love that. So I'm your self-employed. I've been doing this several years. So uh, that's the overview I'll give you listeners. And I'll just turn it to Peter to share his story. Thanks. Um, so yeah, I, I, was, I was thinking even what to say with all this. I thought, well, why am I even, why am I even doing this? You know, um, and the thought came to me, um, this whole experience can't just be about me. Um I, I'm generally a very like service oriented person, take care of other people. Um, I kind of joke that my work is one part design, two parts therapy. Um, the conversations I get to have with people, uh, is they're, they're really great and really personal and it's very heartfelt. And so, uh, it's just kind of my nature to, um, to be wanting to help other people. Um, and I, this, the process of coming out and kind of even, even realizing uh, being gay, has I thought, okay, this can't just be about me. There's got to be somebody else out there that's also felt this way. And it's, it's a little unusual, I think. Um, but I, I wanted to share for that. 
for that reason. Um, kind of a little bit of context for how I approach life, I guess. Um, I have these two uh, really deeply held values of authenticity and I have this little phrase that's my sincerest desire in life is not to be an inconvenience. And it wasn't until recently that I realized how opposite those are and that I, I focus too much on the not being an inconvenience side in my personal life and satisfied the authenticity side in my work. Um, and it, I realized that, um, that I get hired to be inconvenient. Uh, clients hire me to ask contractors to do something a little out of the ordinary and, and that that's okay, that they want the authenticity at the expense of the convenience. And when I realized that about my own life, it made so much more sense of why I could just be me. And maybe, maybe somebody will actually like that. Maybe people in general will actually like that. And maybe I'll actually like that. Um, and so that's kind of a little bit of context for how how I approach things. Um, and even, I mean, kind of the, the chronology of how this all uh, went through my life and figuring out I was gay. Um, I hope that gives <laughs> gives context. It to, does. It's very helpful. To not, not just have it feel like, well, how did he not know, you know? Um, and... I guess that kind of leads into, uh, I guess I said, how did I not know? I had no clue that I was gay. I just grew up in the church and this is kind of how it goes. And you marry a woman and you're supposed to want that. And, and so I just assumed that everybody felt this way. And I, um, I just really had no clue. Um, I, through grade school, like other people seem to pick up on it. Apparently, um, I got called gay and fag and that kind of stuff as long as like fifth grade. And I had no idea what it even meant. Um, and part of me doesn't know how to feel about being so oblivious to it for so long. Um, it's pretty honest. I I was talking to my sister about this actually, and that that tension of am I grateful because I didn't really have to worry about this like a lot of other people do, and I I dealt with the the frustration, anxiety, all that of why don't I get this? Like why does this not make sense for me? Um. And so that, that was hard, but at the same time I got to be like a fun teenager. I went to the, all the high school dances. Um, we, we moved a few times, like you said, and, um, like we'd moved to, when we moved to Arizona, it was my junior year of high school and I was popular. I had no, I was, that was so foreign to me, um, to actually have a lot of friends and 
have people over for pool parties all the time. And, um, and it was great because I got to just be me for a while. And I wasn't so worried about what, what I didn't figure out at that point. Um, and I was, yeah, I was just always kind of the, the safe date <laughs> growing up and, um, moms liked me <laughs> and, um, but I also wasn't, I was never worried about not being a gentleman on a date. Um, I genuinely just was like, well, I like your personality and they say you marry your best friend. And so I waited for it to click somehow. And I mean that, you know, obviously not looking to get married to somebody in high school, but I knew, I knew I wasn't really seeing things the way other guys did, but I also wasn't interested in guys back then. I think I'd really repressed that, that this is bad, uh, idea. And, um, and that, that it's also just not how it's supposed to be, um, kind of <laughs> drank the Kool-Aid, I guess, in that regard. Um, and I just never, never had to think about it. Never, never crossed my mind. Um, and yeah, I'm still not so sure if I'm grateful for that or not. Um, but I think that, I think I am grateful generally. I mean, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty, right? But um, yeah, I, I'm still working on that one, I guess. <laughs> really honest and I you said something very insightful you said I just assumed that I felt like other guys you know you didn't have yeah. any it's not like you had all these different perspectives to understand that perhaps this was different about you you know were busy with high school and going on with your life and no one was getting married anyway in high school and yeah you were dating just like other guys were and going to the dances but so I think it's I think you're doing a good job of just explaining your story and also giving just self-love to your earlier self. It's, it, I think it's fine. You didn't, it's not like you were in denial or didn't want to address this. I think you just, it just wasn't time. Yeah. And maybe part of, and part of your unique individual journey. That's why I like these podcast listeners because every story is different. And I, yeah, I, I felt like I, there's gotta be somebody else that's felt this way. I mean, it's probably not a lot, I don't imagine, but there's there's got to be somebody else that understands this and and they need to not feel so screwed up. Um, I mean, like life after going on the mission and all that, that's when the feeling of really feeling screwed up kicked in. But yeah, growing up, it was just kind of, I got to be oblivious a little bit. And so it was good. It's great. Take us to after your mission or wherever you want to go next. So, well, actually, uh, there was a really kind of formative experience um, on my mission that um, I think really that I've kind of clung to, I guess. Um, <clears throat> I, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I really enjoyed my mission. I 
wasn't homesick. I mean, I, I was in Los Angeles, so it's kind of like a foreign country, but not. Um, and we lived in Phoenix at the time. And so it was like a six hour drive. So it wasn't, I didn't feel far from home or whatever. Um, and I mean, I was still totally oblivious to everything. Like I wasn't worried about developing a crush on a companion or anything like that. Cause I had no clue. And I'm kind of grateful that, I mean, especially as a missionary, you got to really just ignore it. I didn't have to, it wasn't ever a concern. Um, and so this one, this one instance, um, I've really clung to as a, as a reminder that no, you're doing just fine. You know, um, the mission had, had this standard of, um, like 10 hours a week of going and knocking on doors. And my companion and I were, we're actually in the MTC together. We weren't MTC companions, but we're in the same district. Um, and it was our third transfer there. And I got transferred down to Compton with him. And so we were so blissfully unaware of just tip, like kind of typical mission culture type stuff. And, um, and so he and I felt like, well, okay, we need to, we would, we thought, okay, what's our, what's our real purpose here? Um, we're, we're relying on inspiration to, to be where we're needed to go talk to who we need to talk to and really just go be a blessing in people's lives. And so uh, we didn't get the 10 hours a week, like we were expected to. And I had a zone leader chew me out for not doing the 10 hours a week. And I thought, hang on, what, why am I getting chewed out for following prayer? And so that I, I, that's really stuck out in my mind since then of really what, where's my allegiance? What am I really doing here? Why, why am I, why am I even trying with all this? Like, why, why is my life this way? And it's, it's about an allegiance to God. And, and it's not about making some zone leader look good as a missionary. I, I was not there to make him look like a good leader. I was there to follow inspiration Um, and my companion and I, we unapologetically, I don't think we knocked doors 10 hours anytime we were there together in a week. And I don't feel bad about it at all. Um, and so looking back on that experience of what's my real purpose and who am I, who am I ultimately trying to emulate? I'm trying to be like Jesus. And, um, and so that I didn't realize how important that experience would be for me. Um, I was saying until much later. Um, but, and I, I'm just really grateful for that experience to be a missionary. Um, I love, I loved getting to help people, um, I don't, you know, I don't regret it at all. That's great. I love that story. 
um, I guess kind of the chronology of coming home from a mission and, um, I knew that I was supposed to date and get married. And so I really tried, um, I dated a lot and kind of, like I said, you're supposed to marry your best friend. And that's just what I thought I understood. And so I was looking for that. And most of my friends growing up were girls. And so I was like, okay, this should be a piece of cake, you know? Um, and I just kept waiting for attraction to happen. Um, I liked their personality and that like all these qualities, but I never understood why people, like I never understood why people said they loved people or like <laughs> never really wanted to kiss any of the girls I went out with or that. So I just, I felt really kind of screwed up and I thought, okay, this is a little late to be like a late bloomer situation. Uh, and so I started to, to really panic a little. It's like, I don't, I don't understand something. Something's not right here. And the, I'm by nature, I'm kind of a catastrophizer. Uh, it's not, not the best, uh, not the best quality, but I, and so I just thought, uh, it's, this is going horribly. I, I'm never gonna, I'm gonna be alone forever. I don't, I don't even understand why people love each other. Um, this is just so confusing to me. I just didn't get it. Um, and that's honestly, it's a little embarrassing <laughs> to admit that, I, I just kind of felt like I had my head in the sand and yeah, I'm still, I think I'm still working on accepting that that's just what it was. Um, and like I, I, I thought, okay, a little bit of context. I felt like my life has been, there's been a series of, things I didn't want to do, but I felt like I needed to do. And it was good. Didn't really want to move to Arizona my junior year of high school. And I finally had friends when we did. Didn't really want to go to Arizona State right after high school. And I went for a semester. And it was great. Didn't really want to go on a mission, actually. But I did. And I'm grateful. Didn't really want to transfer to BYU-Idaho. I thought, oh, church culture? Are you kidding me? And... I felt like I needed to go and it was fantastic. Um, I didn't really want to move to Utah either. Um, and that came as kind of a specific prompting. And so I did. I didn't even really want to start my business when I did, but it felt like a prompting. And so I did it and it's been awesome. And so there's kind of this series of a bunch of things I didn't want to do. Um, and I thought, I kind of got a little scared. Like, ugh, am I just supposed to marry a woman? And like, that's so not something that I seem to want. And I feel really screwed up. And the fear of, like, it's almost, I, I felt like it would be insulting to admit that to anybody. Like, 
to say, well, I don't actually find you attractive, but I really like you as a person. You know, like that doesn't, that doesn't make anybody's heart flutter. Um, and then part of me also wonders, well, do we even deserve that on some level? Do I deserve that? Um, pretty, pretty a healthy, low self-esteem going on over here in my life. And so I kind of wondered, well, I'm, I'm not above suffering. No, I'm, I'm no better than anybody else. So why not me, you know? Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where I started approaching dating with maybe this is just how this is supposed to go. Um, and it just kept not working, kept not working. And so I eventually just decided this, this can't, I can't do this. This is not fair. It's not fair to me. It's not fair to any of these girls I'm going out with. Um, and so I kind of gave up. Um, and that was, <laughs> that was honestly, uh, last year. I thought, no, this is not working. Um, so that's roughly, you know, 10 years. Yeah. And, and it was looking back, I, I'm happy with the things I learned. Um, I've often, I've had some people in my life tell me that they, like there are things that they're embarrassed about or not proud of, like things they've done or whatever. And, and I say, but you are the sum of those things. So I, I'm not going to be mad at you for that. Like, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to judge you for all these components of you. I like you who you are now. And so why, why feel so bad about, about accepting the process, you know, that it's just my process of figuring it all out. Um, and so, yeah, kind of late last year, um, well, like the pandemic stuff and then that earthquake here in Utah really triggered some anxiety for me. I mean, I've, I've had high functioning depression since I was like 12. Um, and, but that, well, and I've always kind of <laughs> a little in my head about a lot of things. Um, I've always had this like existential dread. I remember being like seven and trying to fall asleep, contemplating eternity, which wasn't great. And, and so sometimes I'll, that'll come back. And so I just can't, like, I can't deal with it, you know? Um, and so the, like this anxiety developed, uh, last year and I started to really spiral with just existence and what does it even mean? Um, and I thought I'd had answers from the gospel. It's like, well, yeah, this is how, how this makes sense, you know? But then the component of why I don't understand relationships, like romantic relationships, that really hurt a lot. Um, and like, I, I wonder, like, why am I... Am I, am I just supposed to be alone forever? Um, and I mean, like I said, that 
healthy uh, lack of self-esteem, uh, I thought, you know, I'm probably not that lovable anyway. I, I'm not, I'm no, I'm not that special. I'm not, um, like, why would anybody make me a priority, you know? And so that really, <clears throat> that was really difficult to process and to just accept that this is reality. This, this is your life. I don't know what you're waiting for, Peter. This is the clock's ticking. You've got, you've got stuff to do. And I, I just, so many things had fallen apart in my life. And I, it's like late last year, I like developed this random crush on a guy and I was so thrown by it. Now, there's, there'd always kind of been this like in the back of my head interest in men, but it was never, I never entertained that thought. Like, no, that's, that's not me. That's not how I was raised. That's not my family. Like we're very proper people. We're not, that's not a thing. That can't be a thing. Um, and mind you all this time, I still had really no, I mean, by, I guess by the light last year, yeah, I kind of did have a practical concept of what being gay was, but like I never, I didn't really know anybody that was gay. I didn't, um, but then I actually had, um, I have a few cousins actually that are gay and, and, um, one of them, we got to be closer and seeing her life has been incredibly helpful. I realized it's not a death sentence like I thought it was, and I was no longer afraid of it. Um, and I thought I finally, I finally allowed myself to even consider it it's like, well, maybe that like that thing in the back of your head, maybe there's something to that. And this weird crush on this guy, I was like, wait a minute, hang on. That's, there's something there. And when I finally allowed myself to consider that I was gay, I was actually relieved because I wasn't screwed up. I finally had an explanation. Um, I thrive on an explanation. Um, if, if somebody did something horrible, but could explain the reason why they did something, I'd be, able, I'd be able to say, yeah, I follow that logic. I see why you would do that. And I might not agree with what you did, but I get why you did that. And now I finally had an explanation. You're just gay. And the healing that, that happened with that was incredible. Um, I stopped feeling so overlooked by God. Um, yeah, I just never, I didn't feel like much of a priority. Um, and that, that service oriented self, I really lost myself in taking care of other people. Like I love my work for that. <laughs> 
Peter, you've said some really beautiful things here. Just some of the things that I've written down. Maybe our listeners have written some of the same things down. Um, there was a lot of profound stuff, and you're still going. But um, waiting for attraction to happen, it's a pretty powerful statement. Just kind of like it's time now, waiting for that to happen. And so then your conclusion, you've used this phrase a few times, I'm just screwed up. There is something f- fundamentally wrong with me. And just a decade of sort of processing that. I mean, I'm glad you're alive. Um, you're not talking to anybody about this. You're not connecting enough dots here. Yeah. And you just want to find your way forward as marrying a woman and make your way forward. But it's just sort of outside of your control to make that happen. You're certainly pr- putting forth a lot of effort. And then you just sort of said, I can't do this anymore. I think it was just so fundamentally painful for you for that cycle of dating and that waiting for that attraction to happen. And then you just get in your head. Um, and it just this hurt a lot. I love this phrase you use that being gay is not a death sentence. <laughs> um, and that kind of helps me understand where you are. Maybe that's helpful for listeners that are trying to figure out if this is who they are and and hearing another story is maybe helpful for them because they're walking a similar road that you are and wondering why some of the dots that are connecting for their friends aren't connecting for themselves. And then you said something incredibly profound. I stopped feeling overlooked by God. And it sounds like your relationship with God significantly improved once you realized you're gay. Totally. And that you weren't screwed up. And uh, I love your sort of analytical brain that wants to understand, and then you connected enough dots to understand. Listeners, I just... I believe everybody needs to be on the same moral footing when they look in the mirror, that how they're created is how they're intended to be created, and every part of them is how they're meant to be. And Satan's greatest tool is to create shame, to separate us from God. And if you're not straight, there's generally a lot of shame um, about that road in our culture and other religious cultures that can be pretty brutal. But I've seen a pattern often when people accept this part about themselves that their relationship with God significantly improves and the shame significantly decreases. And I think those are kind of correlated Um, because it's hard when you just feel so much shame for who you are, you feel screwed up and you've concluded that, that, so I love kind of where you are right now in your story. So just keep going forward. You're doing a great job, Peter. So... The first person that ever, I ever even said something sort of like this too was my brother. It was at Christmas this past year. And we were talking about just relationships and, and he, he said to me, says, I don't remember like exactly how he said it, but essentially I wouldn't be surprised if you're gay. And I said to him, I've thought what that would mean. I've thought about what that would mean. And I thought, 
oh my gosh, I just admitted that to Eric. <laughs> I was like, uh, that, that was just so uncomfortable for me to even consider. Um, but I felt nothing but love from him. Um, I'm the youngest of seven and Eric's kind of my next closest brother. We have a sister in between us and Eric's eight years older than I am. So there's very different personalities, but we've always had each other's back. And hearing him say that with no judgment gave me permission to, to be me. And that no matter what, Eric would be okay. Um, and so kind of fast forward, I was still processing everything. Um, and at the time, I don't feel like the kind of spiritual everything falling apart had really happened. Um, but May of this year, it was the end of, like, end of May-ish, um, I thought, I've got to talk to somebody. I'm going crazy here. Um, and I thought, okay, I'm going to tell my sister. My sister and I are like best friends. We, she's four years old than I am. And, and I thought if anybody's going to be wonderful, it's Jocelyn. So, um, so I knew, okay, she's the first person I need to tell. And that'll give me the courage and kind of the momentum. And so I spent like all week typing out this email I was going to send to her and I was not sleeping very well. And I was just like, I can't do this. This is crazy. And she deserves a phone call. They live, they don't live near me. And so I was like, well, I better just call her. And so I texted her like on a Thursday night and I said, Hey, are you free to chat? And I didn't get a text back. I'd already gone to sleep. I was like, crap, this is going to be a really long night. And so luckily I'd been not sleeping well all week. And so I was exhausted. And so I luckily slept. Anyway, Friday morning, wake up and I have a text from her saying, sorry, I fell asleep or I fell asleep. Uh, what's up? And I was like, okay, I got to do it. I put it out there. And so I call her and I don't remember how I said it. Um, but I was just told her, I was like, Jocelyn, uh, I've been processing it a lot and I think I've realized that I'm gay. <laughs> and she, she had the best reaction. She says, okay, great. This is good. And, um, she was just so wonderful. And, both actually both Jocelyn and Eric had since said to me, well, and I think they even said things earlier, but had no context for what even being gay even meant. But they said, yeah, we kind of thought when you were like 10. <laughs> and so, um, it wasn't, it wasn't a shock to her. Um, and, and so I thought, okay, Jocelyn knows somebody knows 
I'm not such a basket case right now. This is great. And unfortunately, I had an appointment to be to at nine o'clock. And so I hurried and tried to make it look like I hadn't been crying all morning and had a day full of appointments. And I just felt so alive. It was sunny day, windows down, sunroof open, blasted music as I was driving my appointment. And it felt so good. Um, and so I had this momentum. I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start telling people. This is great. I, I didn't feel like a screw up. And I'm not even sure what all this means right now, but I kind of don't care. Um, and I, I, I started developing this. Well, what's the worst that could happen? Attitude. What you're you're not gonna like me? Okay, great. You know, and I, and so the following week, I called or I texted my mom. Or no, I didn't call her anyway. Um, I said, "Can I come up and see you and Dad?" And uh, she says, "I'm out running errands, but sure, you can go to the house." And so I drive up there, and uh, and I just thought. This is so out of character. Like, what am I doing? I don't just drop by my parents' house to talk. And like an afternoon, I'm working usually. And so I had an opportunity to come out to them. And and again, just felt so alive. And I felt like I got to own this. Um, And it just made so much sense that I, the, the pieces started falling into place. And so that was like end of May. And then we had a family reunion coming up in like over Independence Day weekend. And I thought, well, I can't have half the people showing up. No. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to tell everybody. And so I started calling all my siblings and um, telling everybody. And they're, they're all kind of varying levels of like, uh, we get it versus like super supportive. Um, but all of my siblings have been pretty, uh, pretty good. And it's been, it's that vulnerability component that you realize when you're willing to be vulnerable with people, just how human everybody is. That it takes, it takes being the one to be willing to be the vulnerable one, but it's so good. Like, I, I got to have some really great conversations with a few of my brothers that um, about things that I didn't understand about them. And, and it made them real people. Like I, I highly respect all my brothers. I have five older brothers than my sister. And I just kind of put them on a pedestal in some ways. I'm like, Oh no, you're a person too. You know? Um, and so, yeah, it made, I feel a lot more connected to my, uh, to my family in that regard. Um, and, and so I just started telling more and more people and that, um, I was even like at the dentist and just randomly told the hygienist, <laughs> it's like, this is so foreign to me. Like I, I, just, I just don't even recognize who I am at this point because I don't like attention. I don't like it. I don't like being an inconvenience, you know? And, and I thought to a lot of people, being gay is going to be this huge inconvenience. 
It's inconvenient to my family. It's inconvenient to people at church. It's inconvenient to friends. It's inconvenient to God. It's inconvenient to me. Those are all things I told myself. And realizing that I'm allowed to have some space. So I've listened to this podcast like religiously since figuring all this out about being gay. And I love the analogy of the square peg in a round hole. And I got thinking about it. Like, well, why? But I, I feel like I was trying to make that work somehow. And I thought, no, I was trying to minimize the size of the square peg. Like, I mean, my line of work, geometry class really made sense to me, right? And so I thought, well, yeah, if the square's small enough, of course it'll fit inside a circle. Wow. It's insightful. And so I spent my life trying to minimize myself. I don't, I don't do attention well. I, like people compliment me and I get uncomfortable. Um, and it's the low self-esteem. It's all these factors. But um, I just thought if I, I'm, I'm nobody special. I'm just, Peter's just going to go do his thing, you know. And, um, and I, so I think in terms of houses, right? And historically, the corner lot on the block was usually reserved for the big grand house and like the big Victorian or whatever. And I am totally content being the little two-story colonial in the middle of the block. I don't need to be anybody's favorite. That's not why I'm doing what I'm doing. And so, um, yeah, I just finally started telling people. And then in August, I thought, ah, I'm so sick of having all these conversations. And I told myself I wasn't going to just post it on Facebook, but I did. Like, well, and let's get it over with, you know. And um, and so I, <laughs> I've done this thing on Facebook for a few years. I call it the list of honesty. And I hate social media. It's it's a blessing and a curse. Um, and I I want that to be a friendly reminder that you're probably doing just fine. Social media becomes so much the highlight reel of people's lives, and I'll I'll be the one to tell you about the mundane stuff going on in my life. Sure, I'll tell you that I got the stomach flu. Just as a friendly reminder, uh, it happens to everybody. Just because somebody else looks like they've got their life together, uh, <laughs> they get the stomach flu too. You know, um, and. So I did it in this, that format of, well, I've been processing a lot and this is the conclusion I've reached. I'm just gay and it's really difficult and confusing and I don't even know what the heck I'm doing. Um, I don't know how life is going to go, but I also don't know how your life's going to go. So like, why are we, why are we so worried about judging people? Like you have... <laughs> One of my cousins actually said, this is her favorite part. Um, I said um, something to the effect of, don't, like, don't say to people, like, you're going to hell. I said, first of all, you don't know how I'm actually going to live my life. And second of all, that's awfully confident that you don't think you're going to hell either. Um, something to that effect. I worded it differently. But um, I, I had this list of just all these things of, 
don't say this, do say this, be there for people. Like this is honestly, it's felt like grieving the death of somebody. It's grieving the death of who I thought I was and who I thought I got to be. Cause you get, you get fed narrative and that's, I'm, I'm trying not to be annoyed at church culture about that, but I, I really wish we would do more to help people in that regard. Um, and so you just think, well, this is just how this goes for you. And this is how it goes for everybody, but it's not nobody's life is the cover of a magazine. Like nobody's family is the enzyme cover that or Leah Hona now, but like that's, that's not real life. And so why do we pretend that it is? And so, um, yeah, I did that, that kind of list of honesty thing to just put it out there. And, and I thought, well, I've got to have people knowing because I'm starting to date and I don't want to have to explain to somebody I run into. I go, just spread the word, tell whoever, I don't care. Get it over with. Um, and so that's kind of the, 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 the chronology of realizing, no, you're just gay. Um, and it really was such a relief. And I kind of love this now. Okay. I finally like myself. Um, and for a long time, I didn't think that was possible. I love um, this phrase you use, Peter, if I felt so alive when you started to come out. I, I look at, you know, I like things that help people feel they're alive. Ali, I would assume that as you've looked back, some of the depression that you felt has been related to this. And I, I don't know where you are with your emotional health, but when you say I felt so alive, um, I'm assuming your emotional health is better. Do you want to talk about that at all? Yeah. Um, it's it's better, but it's also different. Um, the <clears throat> I still have a lot of depression. Um, it's, it's a lot of just, I can't bring myself to get stuff done, that sort of stuff. But um, the anxiety component has been... That's been the hardest part, actually, with all this, because now I don't, I don't have answers. Before I thought I, I guess I didn't have, I didn't have an answer before, but now the answer feels like there's more information and there's a misalignment to the answer and reality. Does that make sense? Um, and so that's, that's where I've been trying to process a lot with, okay, what does my life actually look like now? Um, and the, like depression and I mean, suicidal thoughts have been 
there periodically. Um, and honestly, my work has saved me. I felt so much allegiance to my clients. I felt so much allegiance to the principle of home. I thought, I've, I've put in all this effort to help these people. I can't give up on them. Um, I, I respect the, the principle of home a whole lot. And if I can help people make home a happy place where it functions for them and it's beautiful and it becomes this vehicle for them to, to live life as a family. Um, and I, I just have so much respect for that, that that really kind of snapped me out of a lot of the, uh, suicidal thoughts. Um, we're not perfect yet. <laughs> I'm still working on stuff, but, um, generally it's improved. I'm glad it has. It, you know, the impression comes to my mind, you're in the very best spot you've ever been in your whole life right now. Oh, totally. Um, and there's, and what a great, and I just love that the future of your life to me, as you're figuring out just where you want to go, I always like people to be in the best spot they can be as they're making key decisions about your futures. So this is a pivot point. Obviously, you know, this without me saying coming out and recognizing this and sharing this and, and the emotional, this just where you are emotionally and a better connection with God and not screwed up and all these, this 10 years of dating and where you are now, um, you're in a really good spot there. I, and respect to you for what you've done. There's not much of an owner's manual for, (laughs) there is, there isn't, there is an owner's manual in the sense that I believe like you do and deeply in personal revelation and that we're all children of heavenly parents and we were with them in the pre-mortal life and they love us. We're created as intended in their image. And um, we're all part of the same human family. We're all spirit brothers and sisters. So it sort of takes us to the 30,000 foot level of who we are. Mm-hmm. And, um, but as far as the tactical, how to figure out your way forward, I think you've done a great job. Thanks. And I, not everybody will have the benefit that you have of, Every story is so different. So some people are coming home from their missions knowing this about them. Some people are leaving on their missions knowing this about yeah. them, as you've heard in other episodes. And one of the blessings that you will never wonder if you could have made it work with a woman, I would want to rule that out, but mm-hmm. it sounds like you're kind of ruling that out as you've tried for so long, to, waiting for that attraction to happen. Yeah. And maybe that's peaceful for you to know that that's not, that door is really kind of mostly closed. I don't want to put words in your mouth or write your story for you. So be yeah. careful. You you write your <laughs> story without me being prescriptive. But I do think, t- talk up when you say you're dating, I assume dating men. And yeah. do you want to talk about that attraction? Does, does that reinforce that you're actually gay? Oh, does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is that weight? I mean, I don't know how much you want to get into that. No, so, so I I realized like I'd gone to a party, a friend's birthday party, and this guy walked in 
And I thought, oh, that's why people act weird around somebody they think is attractive. And I thought, holy cow, I'd never understood this before. And I'm having this like mini existential crisis in her kitchen. I was like, I finally get it. I finally get what everybody's been talking about. And that, that was one of the most healing experiences to just, oh, okay, I, this makes sense now. Um, and the just dating has been, it's like that John Mellencamp song, Hurts So Good. <laughs> and it's frustrating, but I finally understand why people want to date. Um, there's finally this optimism of finding your person. Um, people out, people always ask like, well, what's your dream house like? And I've got like five different versions of it, kind of depending on life circumstance. But the one that I thought was most practical was the little one with a one car garage. Cause I thought I'm never going to need anything more than a one car garage. And now I've revised that plan a little bit. I thought, well, I better have a two car garage and maybe he's also going to work from home. And so maybe we both need offices. And do I put in like an interior window so we can like see each other, but still get stuff done like acoustic privacy, all that kind of stuff. Maybe he plays piano. Maybe I need a, there's a spot for a piano or so all these, all these factors to, how I've valued home in that regard. Now I finally seem to understand it's, it's like practical to me. Um, it's no longer just these nice ideas. Um, and, and I love it. I love finally feeling that. Um, and It's been, it's been really helpful to, to just date and realize, I guess it's kind of fascinating actually, uh, pretty much everybody I've gone on a date with either still is or was a member of the church. And so everybody kind of gets it and it's fascinating to just understand each other. Um, and I feel so much more human uh, in this process. Before, I always felt kind of like this foreigner. Everybody else understands something that I don't. And there's something going on that I, I'm missing. And now I get it. And I... I've loved it. And it, it, I come back to that idea of all these things that I didn't want to do in my life that ended up being good. And I think, well, I obviously didn't want to be gay because I apparently repressed it for 31 years. And, but it's so great. And, As, like, as much as I'm sure it doesn't make sense to people that 
disagree with gay people trying to date and all that. Um, it's made me feel so much more connected to God. Like God's actually got my back. It's not, it's one more instance that shows me. Yeah, but you're, you also, you did all these other things that you didn't really want to do. And so you'll be just fine. Um, and there is, there is kind of a dark side to that though. Cause I live with this fear that it'll somehow change that. Okay. You, you got to date, but now you don't like somehow there'll be revelation to me to say, no, that's, that's not what you actually get. And, and that's really difficult to, to process. I think, do I allow myself to even try to date if that could be what, what kind of revelation I receive? And then I, I can take a step back and get a little meta about it and say, well, hang on, that's absurd. Like you're not going to li- you're not actually going to live your life on the, on the off chance that you somehow get told by God that no, you're actually not supposed to be dating. Just kidding. <laughs> like you felt good about it once, but that's different now. Um, it's kind of damage control. I guess I think a lot in damage in terms of damage control in my own life. Um, and so there is that fear that I don't think that'll ever go away. Um, and I, I think it's also the the very real fear that I wouldn't follow the prompting if I got it. Um, and I hate to admit that. Because I finally get to understand I often think back to where the LA temple, there was a mission home right there. And so we'd take people who were teaching up and watch this, watch Joseph Smith, prophet of the restoration, that church video. And, um, one of the lines in there, um, Emma says, is God, essentially is God going to take away everything I love? That's really scary to scary to think about. You finally feel like you get to understand and you realize what you've been wanting all this time. And that fear of maybe you don't actually get to be blessed with that. And I know a lot of people go through tons of different things in life that are similar in kind of gravity. 
but it still hurts. And then I think, I can't just live my life waiting. Like, I had this, I don't know where I heard it, but it might have been President Hinckley, something. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. Um, like, life isn't sometimes the effect of life's meant to live, be lived, not just planned to death kind of a thing. And so I've decided, no, I'm just going to live. I'm going to, I'm going to try to do my best, whatever that looks like, however uncomfortable it makes other people. That's not my responsibility. I'm going to try to do my best. I'm going to try to be as Christ-like as I can, fully acknowledging that I might have to write a letter one day to the church saying, no, take my name off the records. Um, I don't want to, but I feel ultimately I'm trying to be Christ-like here. And if I can, I've started calling it like boots on the ground Christianity. What am I actually doing? How am I actually treating people? Is my heart changing? Um, do people feel loved and cared for because of how I've treated them? I think I could die content if that's if that's how I got described. Oh, sure, he was married to a man, whatever. But Peter did all these things. I think that's a trade-off I'd make. Well, we're kind of at the end of the podcast. I'm deeply moved by Peter's story, just his honesty, his good heart. Um, being authentic, wanting to do what's right, recognizing the reality that he is gay and he is happier being gay and he's happier dating men. I like things, listeners, that bring hope. There's certainly, when you talk about that house, what it was and what it is becoming, there's a lot of inferred hope in that story. I like things that bring hope. I think hope is one of the greatest things, and I recognize that your hope butts into the doctor of our church that, and just having to reconcile that realities of that, it's just complicated. And I just, what I do listeners, if you're not a frequent listener or, you know, I'm an active LDS father, whatever I am, a married father of six. I just, I always invite people to, you know, follow church teachings. But if you feel your path is different, I'll, I'll just walk with you. That's what I do. I sort of let people self-determine, especially LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, their best path. And I'll just walk with you, Peter. Thanks. And I will be there for the important events of your life symbolically if you were my close friend. And I just, not all, all Latter-day Saints are comfortable with that, but that's just the way I've come to sort of be at peace with this space and honor everybody's unique stories and journeys and I love that you're taking God with you and this deep relationship with your heavenly parents and the Savior and and the life of Christ and his example. And 
I love what you do and the beauty you bring for your clients and what you want to do. So you have a great life ahead of you, Peter, and you've developed a foundation to have a great life. You've got a great career. You've got a great heart. You've done a lot of hard work to get where you are now. And I think it makes the rest of your life possible. I love you mentioned a couple of your siblings, Eric and Jocelyn, and I'm glad you're out to your family and I'm glad you have people you've kind of, you know, it's like letting them in so they know what's going on. And yeah, I love some of the things you shared about as you're vulnerable. Some of your family members have been more vulnerable with you. And that's a great principle, listeners. Vulnerability breeds vulnerability and it creates for more authentic connections and and families can sometimes do that better than our congregations where we're kind of, it's harder to be vulnerable and it's harder to be real and authentic. And there's a cultural sort of expectation of who you need to be sometimes that we could probably improve on. That's another podcast, but Peter, you're a really good man. I've been moved by your podcast, by your heart. There's a lot of humility. Um, there's a lot of just tenderness about you and, Uh, You're a really good man. Thank you. And um, I'll be cheering for the rest of your life for your continued success. And do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? A couple of, I guess, two things that I'd written down is just, uh, so I was even thinking what, what what do I even say with all this? Um, It's actually a quote from, uh, Elder Uchtdorf, discipleship isn't about doing things perfectly. It's about doing things intentionally. And I have felt so much more intention in my life. I'm finally having to make decisions that aren't just spoon fed to me. I fully acknowledge that I'll probably be stepping out of this church framework. I still... (laughs) For all intents and purposes, I still plan to live my life the exact same way. I might just be married to a man. Um, but what am I what am I actually doing? What am I actually becoming through all this? And being an art major, I understand like process makes so much sense to me. Um I actually thanked one of my old professors a few weeks ago. Um, she taught me my printmaking class and we did copper plate etching and dip it in the acid and uh, and just repeatedly remove the the I don't know she's be disappointed I don't remember the name for it um, but like the the material on the surface of the plate to prevent the acid from etching where it's covered eh, horrible explanation um, but it's that repetition of removing a little bit and then. And dipping it in the in the acid to etch it, removing a little bit more, dipping it, removing, and then the process of cleaning it, preparing it to print. Uh, the way you wipe the ink on the plate, um, all these components to just create the final image. It's really about process, um, and that has been so productive for me to just finally look at my life as process. And it also makes me a little more patient with people. Well, you're just in your process too. This, you might not have everything figured out. What you might be doing 
or what you what you're doing might hurt me, but you're in you're in your own process. I'm hoping you're becoming Christ-like through your process too. And that I just have to trust that people are trying their hardest, that they're trying to be intentional. Um, we're not going to be perfect. Uh, perfection's not the point. Faith is the point. It's not about standing up on Sunday and saying, I know the church is true. I've actually removed, I know statements from my church vocabulary because I don't. And I mean, to be honest, I, it bothers me when people get up and say they know, cause it's like, well, do you know, no, you know, but, um, yeah, that being okay with a little bit of ambiguity, being okay with just having to choose faith and really trying to live intentionally and see, see the process for what it is. Thank you, Peter Fillerup. On behalf of all our listeners, thank you for your courage to share your story. There's people that are deeply moved and helped by your story, I promise. Um, They're on treadmills or they're driving or they're sleeping, (laughs) almost sleeping. And wherever they listen, there's been some really beautiful nuggets that help all of us wherever we are. So this is Richard Osler and Peter Fillerup signing off another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. Mm -hmm.